Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Our message, that's our story, that's what we sing, that's what we testify to is the resurrected Christ and and, uh, his work in our lives. Easter's right around the corner. Three weeks from today will be Easter, and uh, we're busy putting together plans for that. You heard Matt last week share about the cardboard testimonies that we want to do, and I think many of you were stirred and, and ready to do that. And uh, so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. Two other pieces of this uh, coming up with Easter that we want to be a part of. One of them is letting you know, you know, as a church, how we have committed to work on prayer this year and, and keep digging into the heart of the Lord in prayer. We're going to have a prayer, a concert of prayer uh, on Easter weekend from the time of our Good, uh, Good Friday service right through sunrise on Easter Sunday. So what we're going to be asking for you beginning next week, is, we'll, we'll be doing sign-ups for this, is to take a half an hour time slot to pray. And uh, to, we'll give you a prayer guide, some things that might help you during that time, but that you would pray for half an hour and that we would be a church that prays through that entire time, about a day and a half. And uh, that the Lord would meet us in, during that time, that he would be moved by our prayers, that things would, would occur out of that, uh, that, would, that would be a, a shine God's glory out of that. So next week we will have sign-ups begin for that, be listening for it, watching for it. Uh, that is Easter weekend. The other thing I want to challenge us towards for Easter weekend is uh, pertaining to the issue of we want to be a church where people belong, where you can be at home here. And uh, part of stirring that and continuing to take exercises and steps forward in that would be to invite people over for Easter Sunday dinner. It's a great time to invite somebody over. Many of us don't have family here, and it would be an awesome time to identify somebody that's not in your normal circle and say, would you come over for dinner on, on Easter Sunday? Get to know them. Spend some time uh, eating over a meal together. So would you take that challenge also and uh, make Easter a time of reaching out to somebody else as a part of our church, who's a part of our church body and uh, inviting them over for dinner that day? The other thing before we get into the word that I, I want to tell you about is it's hard for me to, to talk about this. We lost, um, we lost a friend yesterday, and many of you know Donna Stagg, who's been a part of River of Life, passed away yesterday early morning. And uh, Donna was a woman who loved the Lord. Donna uh, served him faithfully, and God had done an amazing work in her. I'm going to try not to, to get emotional here, but she... God had done a big work in Donna over the years, and she shined the light of Jesus. She was a missionary right here in the Grand Valley. And uh, I just remember so many times her encouragement, and you guys have been, a, bless, have been blessed by this too. I know if you knew Donna, you were blessed by her encouragement and how she would come to people and build them up. Um, Donna didn't used to like people <laughs> and, uh, before Jesus, and she loves people now. And it was always a stretch. She's introverted, and it was always a stretch for her. But, but God had changed her so much. And uh, I remember her responsiveness to the word. Um, even just a couple months ago, or a couple, about a year ago, she came to me, and, and she'd been challenged in a message. And it had to do with reaching her neighbors. And she said, I really haven't talked to my neighbors before, but 
pastor, you need to know. I did. This past week, I went towards them, and God just started opening up some doors, and a neighbor came towards her, and she started developing a relationship and getting to know her neighbors to be light there and to be able to eventually share the gospel. But we're going to miss Donna. And uh, this Tuesday, um, as a church body, uh, we're going to have, and and some of her family will be here, uh, just a celebration of life lunch together. So it's not a formal service, uh, but her family asked if we could have a lunch together to celebrate Donna and, and the Lord's work in her life. So Tuesday at noon, you are invited to be a part of that. And it's a potluck lunch. Uh, bring a, a dish, bring a side to go along with that, and, and let's just fill out that meal and, and have that be a great time together. But we're going to spend some time. My words are going to be very brief and, uh, and time for open mic for you to share your memories of Donna and uh, honor her life and honor the Lord in it. And uh, so you're invited to be a part of that Tuesday at noon, potluck lunch. And uh, we'd love for you to join us if you knew her. Let's bow our heads in in prayer as we um, get ready to be in the word and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. God, in, in our remaining minutes that we spend looking at the words you gave us, we want to hear from you and we want to be changed by your word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would um, take us from a place we are and move us to a place you want us to be. Stir in our hearts an obedience that says we will do whatever you call of us. And, Lord, we, we thank you that you have loved us, that you've redeemed so many in this room. And we pray that you would continue your work in us. Anybody who hasn't trusted you, Lord, today I pray that today would be a day that they would be Uh, come into a place of relationship with you and know you as Savior. And Lord, we commit these next few minutes together to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we take communication for granted. We have phones that we carry around, computers. We have the internet. We have everything at our fingertips for communication. But the truth is, so many of these things that we have now that have radically changed the world are relatively new in the history of mankind. They're, they're not things that were a part of life many years back, even a hundred years ago. Life was so different for the average person in this world. And we have them at our fingertips. The invention of the telephone is one of those many things that has changed the world radically. Until actually 1876, when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, I mean, that wasn't even a part of life where you could talk to somebody else. You could communicate with somebody who wasn't close by. Where you could hear a voice. And so telephones began to spread shortly after the invention of the telephone. The wired telephone that went to each place so that there was one. Remember those things? And uh, by the time World War I rolled around, most homes that were not in a remote rural place had in America here had a telephone. And communication had changed drastically at that point. You might assume that it wasn't that many years later that telephones were accessible in every American household. You might think it would only just take a few more years to wrap that up. But the truth is, it wasn't until the 2000s that every home in America had access to a telephone. That's, in fact, it came after 9-11 that every home had access to a telephone. It was about 2005 when the project of Wiring America finally was wrapped up. And by the time it was finished, it was already outdated technology. 
But America was finally being wired by 2005. One of the last communities to be wired is Mink, Louisiana. This small remote uh, area that is, has about 15 families in their town. And this town was one of the last ones to receive it. There's a gal there that had lived 50 years, she described, without a telephone in her life. And so she described the world that she lived in all these years when we were enjoying some of these things. She didn't have them. So what she would do is she said, anytime I needed to communicate to somebody, I had to go to their home to see them. She would hop in her car or she would drive to her nearest neighbor that was a mile and a half away and uh, talk to that person. If she needed to borrow a cup of sugar, that's how she took care of it. No calls. She had to go find them. The company that was wiring her part of the country, Bell uh, South Corporation, spent $700,000 to get wires to this little town. That's about $47,000 per house. And like I said, it was outdated when it happened. So we take that for granted. Every person in America having access to communication, the ability to, to connect with one another. But the kingdom of God is also all about access. In one way, we are like a utility company giving access to the living water, which is Jesus Christ. And we as a church are called and commissioned to be a part of that. One of the most exciting things about living in our day and age is the modern missions movement that is happening today. More people are coming to know Jesus as Savior than any time in history. The kingdom of God is expanding at a faster rate than it ever has before. We've been in the Old Testament over the last uh, couple of weeks looking at the book of Joshua. And as we come to this message, you might think, well, why did they randomly just throw a mission Sunday in? I want to tell you something. Missions is drastically, it's intimately connected to the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament has all the same themes of the New Testament. A God who's redeeming. You remember in the Old Testament, as we've looked at this book of Joshua, God calls Abraham and he he begins a nation from Abraham. And that nation would one day become a blessing to many people. We even see throughout the Old Testament, God's redemptive nature, not just his chosen people, the Jews, but the side where he redeems people who are outside of that, the Gentiles. Do you remember the story of, of Rahab that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago? The inclusive nature of God to include people who fell outside of the Jewish nation. God's heart in the Old Testament is the same heart that we see get further expanded in the New Testament. The age we live in. That promise that he made to Abraham to be a blessing to all nations is part of our promise. The entire Old Testament contains all these prophecies that proclaim a Messiah to come that would be Jesus Christ. In fact, the, the, the fact is that Christianity is simply the Jewish faith opened to all nations of the earth. Salvation through Christ and these themes and these morals that come out of the Old Testament emerge in the New Testament in greater detail and greater expansion. God's love for broken people. His desire to see them know salvation through Jesus. His faithfulness to his people. We see that there is a way for salvation because God is a God who saves. He's a God who's constantly saving people. He includes people into his family and he will not be stopped. His plan will be carried to completion. It will happen. 
And so he's a God who saves. And the central reason that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, which is our message to come to this earth, has to do with this word salvation, to save humanity. Every miracle of Jesus, every healing of Jesus, every time we see him display his power and his glory, it's pointed towards the central thing of salvation. God desires that we'd see his glory, that in that we would seek Jesus, and in that we would find a savior. And in that salvation, we discover the many benefits of God, this relationship we develop with him, this rescue from bondage of sin, this rescue into eternal life with him that we would have. Being called a child of God, discovering his presence in our life. But here's the thing. We've been talking about missions and there's a lot of work still to be done. The Joshua Project is an organization in the United States that does research about missions around the world. And the Joshua Project has, in their research, uh, identified that there are 3.1 billion people in this world who don't yet have access to the gospel. They're underreached people. They don't yet have a way to hear. They, no one's proclaimed it to them. Think on that number for just a moment. We go past numbers all the time so fast. 3.1 billion people. You think of your family and the people you love, those 3.1 billion, each of them are part of a family. They're part of a, a network of people that love them. And they're people created by a God who loves them and intimately wants a relationship with them. 3.1 billion people. It's overwhelming. In Kosovo, 1.7 million of those people live. So 1.7 million of those people who are unreached live in Kosovo. And the Joshua Project tells us that while some progress has been made in Kosovo, there are only 0.21% of the country that are evangelical Christians. There's a lot of work to be done. But in a country like Kosovo, where we have forward advanced workers who are there, I want to say something to us as a church that's really important for us to remember. River of life can make a difference there. We can make a difference there as we pour our time and energy into supporting what's going on. As we are a church that's engaged in what God is doing, but it's going to take all of us to be a part of it. We can be a part of Kosovo's story and God's work there. See, God does the saving work, but God in his sovereignty, for some reason, uses us. He uses people. As you read scripture, he does the saving work. He's the one who transforms the heart, but we become hands and feet and tools in which he uses. He works through us. And I think that's crazy. He works through us. So the whole point of what I want to say today as we dig into the word is the reminder that God is on the move. But God is on the search even right now in this room for men and women who will say, I'm available to God for whatever he calls me to do. I want us to turn to a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 10. That is an important passage when it comes to missions. Uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 17 is what we're going to look at today. In these verses, 
we need to realize that there's a danger if we just drop into the middle of a chapter like this and don't understand that there's something else being written all around it, that there's a context to it. So what's going on is Paul is writing this chapter under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he's talking about uh, something that will help us with missions, but he's really talking about the unbelief of Israel, why that happened, why they missed the Messiah and haven't trusted, some have not trusted the Messiah, why that fact doesn't undermine the faithfulness of God, and that their unbelief does not negate the fact that God still has a plan for Israel either. So Paul is not saying any of his argument in chapters 9 and 10 in any sort of anti-Semitic way. But what he is doing is he's expressing his heart of, of love for them, wanting them to know Christ as the Messiah. And so in the middle of this, Paul makes a missions point that some have said is kind of like this series of notes that he jotted down, just kind of in the middle. Was he trying to remember these later or what's going on with that? We don't know. It's almost like it's, it's a pause and he starts writing what we're going to read in just a second. But he makes these notes that he writes down in here. So we're going to carefully extract those out, realizing what they come from, and look at those today. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's a series of questions that Paul puts out here that suggest that Israel has had the opportunity to hear the gospel, but has not yet responded to it. They've rejected it. Look at verse 16, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. And as you read those series of questions, when it comes to missions, you might look at that and go, yes, that's really obvious. That's so, such an easy little train of thought that follows through that. It's very simple. But yet at the same time, there's a lot packed into these verses. They're solid. There's, there's something to realize out of these things. And as we, if we're going to be a church that's supporting missions, that's raising up missionaries out of our own church body, that's called to be a church that is serving the Western Slope and, and seeing God's movement across the Western Slope, there are practical pieces out of this that we're going to discover and pull out a couple of those. So Paul gives this series of questions that talks about the saving work of Christ. His purpose is not to guilt us. His purpose is to give us purpose in life. Why do I get up in the morning? This is why. What compels me as a believer? This is part of what I do and who I'm about. Let's look at those questions or those steps in reverse order of what Paul gives us. And these are so obvious, but they're important to state. One is that if people are going to be reached with the gospel, they're a a preacher or a messenger must be sent. A messenger has to go out. That messenger may be a vocational pastor, but it might be just an average person who's a follower of Jesus. They're sent. They go. They're called to go. And so they go. That messenger, number two, must preach the good news. They're not coming with just information or just talk or wanting to live in that culture, which sometimes we start to live like that, right? Like we're just here. But the messenger is called to preach the good news. They deliver the good news. I don't like that word preach in one way because it might make us think, well, it's only for people who preach. Not true. 
Missionaries do most of their work not behind a pulpit, but in relationship like you and I can do our work. Number three, the message must be heard. It has to be heard by somebody else and received. That's pretty obvious. Number four, the heard message must be believed. There's belief that occurs. And then number five, the belief must be the kind that calls upon Jesus for salvation. So let's walk through a couple of those questions and look at what they say to us today at River of Life in our day and age. One of those questions he asks is, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, Paul is going right straight to the heart of the gospel, the message that we proclaim. They have to call on the one that they have believed in. And the question we would have to ask before we go further is, do you believe? Have you placed trust and faith in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his resurrection to pay the penalty for your sin? That's the core of the message. That's the core of what we're all about. Now, you notice in this question, Paul brings up two action verbs that have to be present as a part of salvation. Did you see them? They're call. And what's the other word? You can say it out loud. When I ask a question, go ahead. Call and believe, right? You have to believe. So we call upon the name of Jesus and we believe. Um, The question that Paul poses here is this continuing thought of a verse that he had already written just a few above in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see the same words there? That call is confess. That's the same, same word there. And then believing. Salvation is wrapped in those two pieces. There's salvation found in the, when those two things happen. But confession and, and belief, are those just little actions that I need to do and, and go about and boom, I can check that off the list. I must be saved. What Paul is expressing in here is something much deeper. What he's expressing is these actions will be the result of an inner man issue. What's going on on the inside of me? That out of me is coming those things because faith has been deposited in me. Paul says them in this order, call upon and then believe. There's no necessarily specialness to that order. I believe that those things oftentimes happen in our life so closely tied together. I'm believing, I'm professing it. And, and there's not really a separation that he's putting there necessarily. But Paul is preserving the order that you would find in Deuteronomy 30, 14, which he's just quoted a few verses up right before he says verse 9 that's up on the screen. And he's keeping that order that we find in Scripture. But he tells us to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is this getting at? Can't I just believe? What, about, what is this thing about profession? Remember what Jesus said? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is proclaiming and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord as a truth that is believed internally, that the life is already resting on internally. It's interesting because Jesus as Lord is actually a declaration that the early church used numerous times, and we find it several times in Scripture. Acts 2.36 or 1 Corinthians 12.3. Or we see it again in 1 Corinthians 8.6. Let me read that one to you. Yet, there, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. You see, the point that Paul is making here is not so much that we need to make 
Christ our Lord. He's making the point that a believer is going to state the fact that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And yes, it's important that he becomes our Lord, but it's the declaration, the understanding that he is Lord, regardless of whether you like that or not, or whether you bow to that or not. He is Lord. He's the creator of all the universe. Everything is dependent upon him. He also tells us that we would believe in our heart, that belief that Christ has raised him from the dead, that great truth that one day everyone will proclaim, but for believers, it's a great thing. For unbelievers, it's a fear-filled moment. You see, everyone would bow before him and say, Jesus is Lord, and, and that he has been raised from the dead. This is the core of the gospel. This is the part where I say, I believe upon the fact that Jesus has died in my place, that I am due sin, uh, death because of my sin. And Jesus died in my place and he rose from the dead and he won me both freedom from sin and freedom to a new life. And not only do I believe it in a cognitive way, but I believe it in a way that my life actually begins to take action on it. I step out on it in faith. I begin to move on it. That's the kind of faith that Paul is talking about here. So out of the inner man, these things emerge. Number two, a question he asks is, how are they to believe in him whom they haven't heard? It's kind of an obvious question, right? And we might make the statement sometimes in life, ignorance is bliss. Because if I just don't know, if I don't know, I have very little money in the checking account. I'll just go spend it all. And ignorance is bliss. It's not, right? It catches up to you. I was talking to Ron Collins uh, last week. And I was talking about raising boys and how it's a miracle that any boy makes it to adulthood. How many times as a boy, uh, or have you heard a boy say things, and I've never said any of this. Well, I didn't know. Well, I didn't think it would happen to me. Ignorance is not bliss. And Paul is trying to help us see that ignorance for unsaved, unbelievers, people who have never heard the gospel, is not bliss. They're separated in an eternity from God when they die. And there's the importance that the gospel is brought to them. Why else would he pose that question? Third question he asks is, how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's a critical question to ask, but it's so important that the gospel is proclaimed from our lives. That the gospel is shared in preaching, but it's shared out of your mouths as well as my mouth. That the gospel is shared. The free grace of Jesus. And it's important that we do that in our relationships and from the pulpit and in every context. Notice how in verse 17, Paul had said, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's important for people to hear the actual word of God. They need to know it. Oftentimes, if I'm sharing my faith with somebody else, if I have a Bible handy, I will pull out my Bible and I will bring them to a couple of verses that I tend to go to that explain the gospel. And I have a person read it out loud for themselves. What does this say? They read it out loud. What's that say to you? And they respond back. The importance of the word of God being there. And someone has to preach it to share it with them. Faith comes by hearing. That's going to turn into obedience in our lives. But it's so cool to see when God is at work using people to share the gospel. I want you to watch this quick video that takes us back to Kosovo as an example of that in Alliance Missions. Let's watch this. There are some who say that to be a Kosovar is to be a Muslim, but I never felt that was true for me. 
I remember my senior year of high school, there was this girl, a Christian. She spoke openly with me and told me about her faith. I was interested as I didn't really know a lot about Christians. I defended her when other students would persecute her. One day she gave me a New Testament. I kept it hidden in this little room at the back of our house. I would sneak out by myself to read. I had never heard anything like this before. A short time later, war came to our village and we were forced to flee. When we returned, I found my Bible had been torn to shreds. Our property was burned to the ground. I didn't know how to pray, but I remember reading about this God who loves. I cried out for him to save my village. In 2008, Kosovo gained independence. Very soon after, radical Islamists started coming to try and influence our people. One local imam demanded that parents send their children for religious education in the mosque. Some of these leaders in the mosque were recruiting children to fight for ISIS. I would rather die than see my children come to this faith. Like many in Kosovo, I wanted nothing to do with Islam. I had to find something different. I remember the stories I had read about Jesus and decided that this might be the answer for me. I did some research and found the address of a pastor in the capital. The night before our meeting, I had a dream about him. When I saw him face to face, he was as I saw him in my dream. For us, it was a very surprise because usually we don't have people that comes and say, okay, I need Jesus. We are begging people. This is the Bible. This is the Jesus. This is the salvation. As he shared with me from God's word, I knew it was true. After all these years, I knew I had finally found my true identity. I went home and shared everything with Valdete. He was convinced that as a family we should follow Jesus, but I wanted to decide for myself. That night, I picked up the Bible Pastor Femi gave him and started reading in Matthew. I read until 2 in the morning. I was convinced this was true. I decided in that moment that I also would follow Jesus. I asked if a group could come from the church to share more about Jesus. A large group gathered in our garage and listened intently. There were many questions as nobody had ever read the Bible. At the end of our time, 27 decided to follow Jesus. One day, one church has been born in our nation. It was never happened last 400 years in Kosovo. I felt my heart growing and growing. I thought it would explode. If I could have gathered 2,000 with me that day, I would have. The baptism service was very emotional for me. It was raining until just before the baptism. There was a rainbow and then the sky cleared. This was a sign that God was with us. When I came up out of the water, I felt a new freedom. Word spreads quickly. People are curious. I have shared with groups in seven other villages and many have been baptized. Just a few days ago, I met with another large group. They have never had an opportunity to hear God's word like this. I think it's only a matter of time before they are following him too.
We are seeing people experience uh, visions and dreams. God is beginning to disciple people on his own. When we see God on the move, we're compelled to join him in what he is doing. Really, God is in control of everything. He allowed crises, diseases sometimes, wars, conflicts. So many people seek God. We feel blessed to be the first believers in this village to plant a church. I want to ask you to pray for our faith to grow. Already, some have tried to intimidate us, to make us leave our faith or run us out of town. But with God beside us, we aren't turning back. Pretty awesome story, huh? That's God at work in Kosovo. So Paul asks us one last question, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Unless they are sent. This idea that God calls people and sends them. This idea that God is the sender. He's the one who identifies them. The word used in here is so strong. It's an emphatic word that's supposed to get, convey the idea that God is the sender. He's the one who sends them out. And the local church plays a role in that. Sometimes we want all kinds of big things to happen in our life. But out of the local church where confirmation happens of, yes, God has called you. Where you have been faithful. Where you have served him even in the small things and the big things. And that is seen we can be sent out. Now there's a huge assumption here. And that is this. That there are people being sent. That God has commissioned. That he has called One of the most powerful chapters in scripture is Isaiah chapter 6. And in that chapter, Isaiah has a vision of the throne room of God. And he sees the perfection and the holiness of God, the worship happening in that room. And when I was a teenager, this vision, as I read this, just captured my mind. And the question that's posed in here captured me. Isaiah saw all this, and after seeing the glory of God, there was but one response he could have, and that was to kneel down. He couldn't say anything. He realized his sin. He's a man of unclean lips. And the Lord spoke to him in that moment as he sat before the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Scripture scripture says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah's response was the exact same heart response that should come out of every believer. It's a willingness to go wherever God might send you. I was at a sports banquet this past week for a basketball team. And the coach was talking to the team and he was talking about the uniqueness of this team that had been put together this season and the bonding that had occurred. And one of the things he pointed out about the team, I think, is so much like the church. Because he said, on the bench this past season were numerous girls who would say, Hey, put me in, coach. I'll go in if you need help. As soon as somebody was hurt or they needed a break, they were willing to go in. That team is much like the church in the way the kingdom can and should work. A willingness in our hearts to say, I will go wherever you send me. I will lay everything in my life on the line. So whether you're a teenager, you're a young kid, 
whether you're in the middle of your career or you're retired, the question I think scripture would beg us to ask is, would you say with a willing heart, here am I, send me, I'll do whatever you ask. I would be willing to lay it all on the line if you want to send me. But if you're not sent overseas, you're sent right here where you're planted. And you're called to be a good sender of those who go. God does both. You are not here purposelessly. You are here planted in this valley on purpose. And you may be called to go somewhere else, but are you willing? Would you let go of your career? Would you let go of your house to follow him? Would you let go of your future to follow him? Let's bow our heads. I wonder if you would grapple with that question before you walk out of here today. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I will go where you might send me and I will do whatever you ask me to do? Yes. God is looking for a few good men, women, and children who will let go of their life to have his life. Father, I pray that in this room, as people are doing just that and saying, yes, Lord, we do so with a fear because there's a lot of unknown in saying that. What would you do? What will you ask of us? Some may have just an absolute clarity what you're calling them to. But Lord, I pray that as an entire church body, there would be a submission and a willingness to walk with you wherever you might take us. And that that would be a joy for you to look down upon and see. I pray that those who are saying yes to you, that you would minister to them and guide them along in the process to get from where their life is right now to where you might be calling them or taking them. Even if that is staying right here. Even if that's being a missionary where we're planted or being a great sender. Lord, we want to be people who are released to you and make ourselves available to you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their love for you. Continue to fan that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you'd like to continue to talk about that anymore, come on up after the service, and I would love to encourage you and build you up in that process. Would you stand for our benediction? This is a blessing out of the book of Numbers, a uh, a blessing that I think is a blessing for you. I hope you, you take courage and hope in this. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance or his gaze upon you. And may he give you peace as you go from here. Amen. We'll see you back next Sunday.